Hear these words from God's holy and inspired word. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and, and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, When the Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down a staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father God, you have given us these words this morning to, to enjoy, to wrestle with. But ultimately, Lord, to preaching is the work of transformation by the power of the gospel. The heart is changed by preaching, hearing the words. So Lord, open our ears this morning. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you use me, that you give me wisdom in knowing how to handle these, these difficult words and these words that we should rejoice in. So Lord, may all the honor and the glory go to you in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past seven weeks, we have been in the first section of our, our 16-month mini-series, uh, through uh, a series called The God Who. And the first section was The God Who Hears. And now we're going to be entering into a next session, The God Who Delivers. We, we have seen in this Old Testament book, it, it, it's a record of God's deliverance of the people of Israel. The first six chapters are set up, set up the scene, but as you remember, the scene is not all that pretty. It starts off with God providentially caring for the people of Israel by moving them into the land of Egypt, to the section called Goshen, so that they may be preserved. And Joseph, thanks be to God, was the one who orchestrated this whole thing. And God's hand was deeply at work there. But shortly after that time, there was a Pharaoh who did not know about Joseph or his work. And because of Israel's great numerical growth, they were soon seen as a national security threat. There could be potentially enemies within that could threaten 
the superpower of Egypt. So the Israelites were forced into slavery, and the pressure was put on the midwives to kill the firstborn male children. And when that strategy didn't work, the Pharaoh required that every Egyptian who found a young male man, young boy, would throw that boy into the Nile to be killed. And into this oppressive and dangerous situation, a baby boy was born by the name of Moses. And Moses' mother hid him in, in the bulrushes, hid him in the reeds in a basket. And by God's providence, again, Pharaoh's daughter discovered him, adopted him into his fa her family. And he was raised in the Egyptian courts, raised in the educational system, raised to know the, the ways that Egypt worked. He knew. He was educated. But he was also an Israelite. And he noticed the oppression that was going on. And when he saw a taskmaster beating one of his fellow Hebrews, he killed him. And because there was a price on his head, he ran for Midian and stayed there for 40 years. And while he was in Midian, towards the end of his, those 40 years there, God spoke to him through a burning bush, telling him, listen, I am going to deliver my people from Egypt out of the hand of Pharaoh, and you are going to be my spokesman. It's going to be, I'm going to be working by you to deliver my people. And it was reluctantly that Moses went back into Egypt with his brother Aaron to deliver this message from Pharaoh. And as he delivers it, he notices quickly that his plan backfires. And it goes from bad to far worse. So this morning, as bad and as difficult as this scene is, the first six chapters show us that the suffering of God's people do, does not go unheard, unnoticed by God. Because it says here in, in Exodus chapter 2 that their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And what happened? God heard their groaning. God hears. And God remembered His covenant with, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew them. God was intimate with these people. So God is a God who hears. And for us, those who are in Christ, we should be deeply encouraged that we worship a God who hears. So while Exodus features the people of Israel, the book really is not about Israel. This is a book about God's work. It's a book that tells a story that, of redemption and deliverance which becomes foundational for our understanding of the rest of the story of the Bible. Not understanding Exodus will lead to a lack of understanding in the New Testament. So we're entering into chapter 7 through 12. And this section is going to be The God Who Delivers. And it records a beautiful and a powerful story of God's rescue of the people of Israel from Egypt and from Egyptian slavery. And this, this is kind of the, the part that many people are familiar with. When we think about Exodus or the story of Israel, we're very familiar because this, this section includes the ten plagues. 
This includes the killing of the firstborn son. This includes the Passover meal. And this includes that great story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and passing through the Red Sea. These are stories that we know. But these chapters are not primarily about Israel. They are about a God who delivers. And the aim is to dem demonstrate the supremacy of God over Egypt and the supremacy of God over Pharaoh. The ten plagues, the Passover, the, the Exodus are designed to declare that God is God and He is supreme over all. The text that we have this morning is a prelude. How many of you know what a prelude is? I, I, okay. I, if you, you've grown up in church, you, you know the first part, normally in more traditional churches, there's a prelude. And that's when the organist or the band will play a part that will silent. You kind of listen in the pews and you listen to it. And you, it's preparing your heart for what is to come next. This is a prelude to what will follow. Exodus 7, 1 through 13 summarizes what is going to be coming in the next five or six chapters by giving us a major theme, an example, through a miraculous sign. So what is the major theme of this plague narrative? It is that God is supreme above all other rivals. God is supreme above all other rivals. He is the ruler of the universe, and when he says, let my people go, he must be obeyed. He must be obeyed. The overarching theme of this section is really the theme of the entire book of Exodus, to show us that he is the Lord. He is God. God shows us this very clearly by, by delivering his people through the judgment of their enemies. God shows us by delivering his people through judgment. And this is what God wanted Israel to know as they watch God deliver them. 6 verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I want you to know that I am your God and you are my people. As I deliver you, I want you to know this. But this is what God wants the Egyptians to know as they watch God send wave after wave after wave after wave of plagues. 7, verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. I will lay my hand on Egypt and I will bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land by great acts of, what does it say there? Judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and bring my people out of Israel, people of Israel out from among them. I want them to know through my acts of judgment that I am the Lord. There are no other arrivals, Egypt. Know that. But this is what God wants Pharaoh to know. This is uh, chapter 9, 14 and 16. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, talking to Pharaoh, I will send all my plagues upon you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in the, in the earth. 
Okay, those are strong words. Pharaoh, all these plagues, all these things are going to be on you, your people, your staff, all of them. And the purpose is, Pharaoh, so that you will know that there is none like me in the entire world. Verse 16, for this purpose, I have raised you up. I put you in this place so that you will know that there is none like me. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is going to deliver his people and he is going to do it through judgment. We live in a society that we don't even like that word. It just, it, it makes us cringe, the idea of judgment. Really, you're going to judge me? Who, who are you to judge me? That's not fair. We're equals here. Well, Dr. James Hamilton wrote this book put out by Crossway called God's Glory in Salvation Through Judgment. God's Glory in Salvation Through Judgment. And he traces this theme of deliverance through judgment from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And listen to this quote. Donna will have it up on the screen. Salvation always comes through judgment. Have you ever thought about that? Always comes through judgment. Salvation for the nation of Israel at the Exodus came through the judgment of Egypt. And this pattern is repeated throughout the Old Testament, becoming paradigmatic even in the New. When God saves his people, he delivers them by bringing judgment on their enemies. This is not limited to the Old Testament enemies such as the Philistines. Salvation for all believers of all ages is made possible by the judgment that falls on Jesus at the cross. The cross allows God to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And this last line, the cross of Christ the climactic expression of the glory of God in salvation through judgment is the turning point. It's the turning point of the ages. <laughs> As you can see, God delivering through judgment is not just a theme. It's not just an Old Testament, angry God kind of theme found in the Old Testament. It is part of the overarching theology of the entire Bible. God saves through judgment. So what, what we're going to see here in uh, these next 13 verses is that there are objects of judgment. Objects of judgment. And there's Egypt is an object of judgment. And Pharaoh is an object of judgment. God intends to glorify himself over the nation of, Israel, uh, of, of Egypt and of Pharaoh. He intends to smash all the external and internal idols and show that by smashing them that he ultimately is Yahweh, the Lord. He focuses his judgment on the false gods of Egypt and the pride that is so deeply rooted in Pharaoh's heart. So this text is essentially about a conflict between God and a nation with a ruler who is opposing his will. God wants the world to know who he is. And he will use 
Egypt and Pharaoh to make it absolutely clear as to who he is. His glory will not be seen in mercy. His glory will not be seen in mercy. It will be seen in judgment. God will deliver his people through judgment. So let's look to see how this plays out in these next 13 verses. Verses 1 through 2, we see that Moses and Aaron are to be the spokesmen for God to Pharaoh. And this, this role involves them speaking and embodying God's word, something that you and I are called to do, right? We are called to be mouthpieces and embodying all that we do, all that we say. We are to embody God's word. They are to deliver God's message to the ruler of Egypt and say, listen, you shall speak. God says, you shall speak all that I command you, everything. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses had another role. Did you pick that up there? I have made you like God. I've made you like God, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Moses is a mediator of God's word and God's authority. He is mediating God's word and God's authority so that everything that he says and everything that he does, Pharaoh has got to be coming, is coming face to face with the living God as seen through Moses. Verse 3 highlights a theme that we learned uh, in the story of the burning bush in Exodus 4. Here's what God said. When you go back into Egypt, you shall see, you see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. We learn about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And chapter 7 connects Pharaoh's hardness, miraculous signs, and his unwillingness to listen. Chapter 7, 3 and 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And I'm going to dig into this a little bit more later because this has been one of those mysterious and difficult sections of Scripture that a good, gracious, loving God hardens people's heart? What is that all about? And I will get into that, but for now... I want you to see the connection between God's deliverance through judgment and the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. God delivers his people through the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. The other aspect of judgment is the sending of the ten plagues. They are sent one by one with a demand to let my people go. Every time. Let my people go. And the failure to obey always results in what? Judgment, right? There's a judgment that's extracted. And verse 4 captures this with the following statement. I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. God will deliver his people through judgment. But it is not judgment for judgment's sake. The ultimate goal is the declaration and the glorification of his name. That is the goal. It's not just a vindictive, mean God. 
This judgment is so that God is ultimately, his name is going to be declared among the nations because what he has done. And he is going to be ultimately glorified because of what he has done. He is going to declare to the world that he is God. Exodus 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. They are going to know. The Egyptians and Pharaoh will come to know that God is supreme over every single rival. And when he says, let my people go, he must be obeyed. And verses 8 through 13 give us just a vivid illustration of this. Moses and Aaron obey God's instructions. You shall say everything that I, I tell you. You shall do everything. Which is a contrasting theme, right? To Egypt and to Pharaoh. And Moses and, obey his, Moses and Aaron obey God's instructions by delivering God's message and demonstrating God's power through the sign of the staff turning into a snake. However, it looks like God's plan got screwed up if you stop right there. Because Pharaoh's magicians are able to copy Moses' sign. Could you imagine what's going on in the heart of Moses and Aaron? Moses says, listen, Aaron, this is what I want you to do. Throw down the staff. Let's see, him. Let's see them run throws down the staff and a snake appears, a big cobra snake. And Pharaoh says to his magicians, hey, listen, what, what can you do? This, this is kind of threatening. And they say, oh, just watch. And through their secret arts, whatever that might mean, they take their staffs and they throw it down. And all of a sudden, there's a whole slew of snakes. And that would drive you. He's out. <laughs> snakes all over the ground. And immediately, Moses and Aaron, if I was them, my heart would fall. Are you serious, God? In front of all these people? But don't miss verse 12. Don't miss the significance of what is said here. For each man threw down, cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But, I love those conjunctions. conjunctions but, Aaron's staff swallowed up the snakes, their snakes. Can you, can you imagine? I, I can imagine this was a dramatic moment when Aaron's serpent began eating the serpents of Pharaoh's magicians. This snake had to be getting larger and larger and larger and larger. This was not accidental. It was not a case of a really hungry snake. It was symbolic wasn't it god is greater than pharaoh and egypt and he must be obeyed or else you are going to be swallowed up it's symbolic and this section ends with a picture of pharaoh's heart and a pattern that will be clear in this section of of exodus still pharaoh's heart was very was hardened and he would not did not listen to them as the Lord said, Pharaoh's heart and the nation of Egypt will be intertwined in their rebellion against God. The plagues will bring the nation and Pharaoh to their knees. God is going to exalt himself over Pharaoh and over Egypt. And in order to understand this section 
of Exodus. In order to understand the challenges that are, are present, such as the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, in order to understand the overall message of the Bible, you have got to, hear me say this, you have got to get the supremacy of God in the right place. Okay? For you to understand this, this section of Scripture, to understand how God is working in these confusing things about like hardening Pharaoh's heart, and for, for you to understand the whole message of the Bible, you have got to get the supremacy of God in all things, over all things, in the right place. Because you will miss the ultimate story and the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of Exodus if you do not see God's purpose. If you don't see God's purpose in everything he does is to display the beauty of, he, of who he is to the whole world. That is God's purpose. I am going to display my beauty and my name and my character to the whole world and I am going to use every means possible. Creation, redemption, justice, mercy, grace, wrath, deliverance are not individual themes here they are like a string of pearls which are intended to be put together in order to make much of God all those things work together so that God is made much of everything that God does is for the purpose of the display of His glory. The Apostle Paul echoes this theme in two very important places. One is in Ephesians 2. The second is in Romans 11. Ephesians 2, you can't get this about God. But God, the two, two of the greatest words in that section. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that, so that in the coming ages he might show or display the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saved us to display something about himself. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. In, in, in other words, God gets all the glory. There are no rivals, even in your salvation. And then in, in Romans 11, Paul comes to the end of talking about Israel and salvation and how all these things are working out. And then end of, in Romans 11, he gets to this point where he just breaks out into a doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
So God intends that Israel, Egypt, and Pharaoh, and the entire world, and everyone who reads this story, they, God intends for us to know that from the rising to the setting of the sun, that there is no one beside him. None. He is supreme over all rivals, and he will smash down all other idols. It's just a matter of time. Deliverance comes through judgment. So there's these objects that receive judgment. Pharaoh and Egypt. These are the objects. But now there's a means of judgment. The means. How does God exercise, carry out his judgment? And it's found in two ways. One, through the plagues. Two, through the hardness of heart. These two means are, are just another way for God to put onto pedestal, to have the world see who he is, about his character, and understand him. So let me give you, I, I'm going to give you an overview, an overview of the ten plagues, so that in the next two weeks we can really study them more effectively. I told the worship team earlier that uh, my original plan was to walk through each plague for a week, and it's like, you know, I, I think that's a little overdoing it. It's basically the same message over and over again. But I, I want us to take a brief look at that, and then we're going to take a look at the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and, and some of the questions that surround this issue. First, the ten plagues. The judgment that comes from the ten plagues is intended to force Israel to release the people of God and to make a statement of God's power over the Egyptian gods of nature. That's his purpose. And we're going to look at, we will look at each plague it, later on in a little bit more detail. But it's important for you to know at the outset that in each act of judgment, it was designed to humiliate the Egyptian belief in their gods and what they believed to be the power of their culture. It's intended to humiliate these gods that they worship. And to also humiliate them in understanding their power in their culture. The Egyptians believed that their society was dependent and protected by a whole pantheon of different gods. And they worshipped those gods in order to find favor with them. I must do this. I must sacrifice. I must give my child. I must do these things so that I can find favor with these gods. And since Egypt was the reigning superpower of that day and that age, they no doubt thought that their gods were more powerful than any other god in the world. That is why Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 6 verse 2 said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let, let Israel go? Who is this God? I do not know the Lord, is what he said. Therefore God begins turning their gods against them. And when Moses can start, control the start and the end of a God plague, it clearly sends a statement of superiority. For instance, the first plague was directed at the beloved and honored Nile River. Nothing is more revered and more important than the Nile River to the people of Egypt. Their whole world and their whole culture centered around the Nile River. Moses commanded that the Nile be turned to blood. And for the second plague to involve frogs coming out of the Nile, 
That would have been a very stunning statement to the people of Egypt. We, we can see that the, the plagues are organized into three sets of three, and they culminate with the tenth plague, which is the killing of the firstborn. So there's three sets of three. The first three plagues, the, the Nile, the frogs, the gnats, are sources of just irritation. Irritation. The, the second three plagues, flies, cattle, and boils, ultimately cause destruction. So do you see already a progression? God kind of turning up the volume, so to speak. And the final three plagues, hail, locusts, darkness, and even the death of the firstborn are characterized by death. Another interesting feature is this. The first of every set of three plagues, the, the Nile, the flies, and the hail, are announced at the Nile of all places. Announcing where their God is supreme. It's announced there. And the second of every three is announced at the palace. Addressing now Pharaoh. And the final plague of each set is not even announced. It just happens. Sometimes Aaron's staff or hand is the vehicle of judgment. And sometimes it is Moses' hand or staff that announces the judgment. Some of the plagues affected everyone in Egypt, including the Israelites. It reminded them that what? He is God. And he is in control. But others did not affect the children of God at all. The, the ten plagues seem to have a level of progression, progression for them. Moving from absolutely annoying to dangerous calamities. And they were designed to bring Egypt and Pharaoh to their knees and clearly demonstrate that when Yahweh says, let my people go, you let my people go. He's the Lord and he has no rivals. But then it comes to the second section. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The conflict isn't just between the God of Israel and the so-called gods of Egypt. There is a clear confrontation here between the sovereign God of the universe and the sovereign of Egypt. And what we see in this text and in other texts is absolutely challenging. So I, I want to acknowledge that right up front, that this is difficult stuff. So let me state the problem clearly. At times it appears that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And at other times it appears that God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart. So what is it? Who is doing, doing the hardening? And before I attempt to answer this question, I want to remind you about the purpose of Exodus and Pharaoh's hardening. It's important to start from the right vantage point. Keep in mind that Exodus is designed to display the glory of God through the deliverance of God's people. Display the glory of God in the deliverance of God's people. Remember, maybe you've heard this before, Exodus 9, 16, what it says about Pharaoh. For this purpose I have raised you up. 
to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, you need to see everything regarding Pharaoh through a lens of God's ability to be God. Everything that happens to Pharaoh is a, you got to say, this is just God proving to the world that he is actually God. Not only is he uh, sovereign over the, all the things that are happening, you know, the hail, the flies, the gnats, the, the uh, river turning to blood, the frogs coming out and throwing the snake down. Not only is he sovereign over those things, he is also sovereign over the man's heart. He is sovereign over your heart. He's sovereign over your neighbor's heart, your son's heart. God is sovereign over all these things. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart has a purpose. And that is to show the superiority of God over him and Egypt. Second, and this is a difficult thing, keep in mind that one of the ways that God brings judgment, one of the ways that God brings judgment is by not preventing the human heart from going where it would naturally go without God's action. There are times that God stops the human heart from going where it naturally wants to go, and there are times where God's hand is pulled back and just says, Go. I am handing you over. I'm allowing your heart to just go where it naturally goes. And it naturally goes towards sin, depravity, ruin, and destruction. The Bible refers this to God giving themselves up. Romans 1 tells us about uh, that when people suppress the truth that could be known about God, that God gives them up to lusts of their hearts, to a dishonorable passion and to a debased mind which leads to all manner of unrighteousness. God sometimes does not restrain the human heart. In other words, there are times when God no longer intervenes. God no longer intervenes. He allows people to follow the dictates of their own hearts. And the effect of this unrestrained pursuit of sin leads to the hardness of heart. The book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews gives a warning about this condition. And Donna, I think I have a slide from Hebrews 3. There's a very clear warning. The author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This hardness of heart is part of the judgment of God, and it is what Pharaoh experiences due to his own rebellion. Some of you are in rebellion. You may be in Christ, but you are in rebellion. And there is a hardening of your heart. You keep going back to that, that, swim, that sin, that private sin that is oh so sweet. That you constantly justify in your head. And after a while, what happens to your heart? 
You're deceived. And sin gets justified. So Pharaoh experiences this due to his own rebellion and God's desire to display his, his glory through demonstrating that God is sovereign over Pharaoh's heart. So did Pharaoh harden his own heart or did God harden his heart? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. The Bible gives us examples of both, often in close proximity to each other. Uh, chapter 9, verse 12. But the Lord hardened his heart, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. In 9, verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, and he and his servants. So again, it's both God and man hardening hearts. And you might be thinking, how in the world is that even fair? That is absolutely not fair. That's not, you're not even playing with the same deck of cards. You're not even playing by the same rules. That's just not fair. Right? Our human desire is for fair and for justice. And that would be a great question about how is that fair if God and Pharaoh were equal in essence and being. They are not. We are talking about the creator of the universe and a human king of Egypt. Gratefully, uh, the Apostle Paul answers this question for us, not by giving us an answer, but by giving us a better question. Listen to Romans 9. You got it? For Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that... I might show you my power, my power in you, that your, my name might be proclaimed in the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills? You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Which is a good point. Who can resist God's will? But here's a better question. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has a potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? So what's the point there? It's that it is that God is so other that His ways and His purposes cannot be fully understood by us. You want to understand why you've got a neighbor that you've been presenting the gospel time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. You might be married to somebody who you just look at their heart and go, serious? You've been to church your entire life and you just got this hard, hard heart and you're not responding to the gospel? Why, God? Why? The point is that God's ways are so other than our ways. His purposes are so far beyond us that we can never understand God's economy when it comes to the salvation of the heart. The point is that there are many times in the Bible when God is seen as so big, so supreme, and so sovereign that it nearly just blows your mind. And I think that's the point. 
that God is so glorious and so great that there are questions that just cannot be answered. There's points where we just go, I don't get it. And that's okay. God is God. And there are some things in the Bible which are meant to humble us and to absolutely silence us. To make us realize that He is the potter and we are the clay. And this was the lesson that Pharaoh will learn. He will see that when the God of Israel says, let my people go, he must be obeyed. The creator of the universe will have no rivals. No idols, internal or external, will stand. He will be the great I am. The ten plagues and the hardness of Pharaoh's heart are both a part of God's plan to deliver his people through judgment. James Hamilton reflects on Exodus 10, 1 through 2, when he writes, Yahweh states that he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he can display his signs, so that Israel can pass the story down, so that they may know that he is Yahweh. How often do you have those experiences in your life that you look back on that are like exclamation point events? Boom! And you just go, I remember that. You remember when this happened? Remember when she said that? Remember when he did this? Remember when this happened or that happened? And you look back? The purpose of God doing this is so that Israel from generation to generation to generation can say, do you remember when? Look at what our God, who has no rivals, did. There is none like him. And that's what is happening here in Exodus. And do you know that the same God who delivered Israel is the same God who rules our world today? I think we forget about that. We look at these as Old Testament stories where God is kind of uh, really kind of king and ruling over. The reality is that is the same God that is ruling our world today. Do you know that the disobedience to him is still dangerous? Seriously, it is still dangerous. Do you know that God tolerates no rivals? Either on the inside or on the outside? God tolerates for our church, for us as individuals, for us as families, for us as a Christian culture to tolerate no gods. No other gods. And do you know that sin still hardens the heart? And that God owes no man, woman, or child mercy? But here's the good news. Do you know that God made deliverance through the judgment delivered on His Son? Mercy is made possible only because God judged His Son guilty so that you by faith could, be, could receive Him and be forgiven. 
And that's the good news of the gospel. God still delivers by judgment. Judgment has been extracted on His Son. So that when we receive by faith Christ Jesus and His work, we are adopted as sons and daughters. The ten plagues, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart just show us this. But the ultimate deliverance of judgment comes through the crucifixion of the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Will you today, will you today receive this good news? Will you respond by saying there is no other God and He will accept no other rivals in my life? Will you receive this good news? Let us pray. Father God, we uh, today, we stand humbly, but also grate gratefully before you, knowing that you could have exercised judgment on us. You could have withheld your mercy. But for those of us who are in Christ, we have received mercy. You have softened our hearts. You have brought judgment on your Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. So that ultimately we may have life. So God, may we respond to the gospel this morning. May we profess that there, there is no one like you at all. And therefore, you are worthy of our worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.